Hey, everybody. Welcome to the latest episode of Private Eyes Are Watching You. I'm super excited today for my guest. Her name is Sharnay Fisher. She's a private investigator out of Arizona, and she's going to tell us a story about a case she worked on that is just unbelievable. You, 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 you can't wait to hear this story. I, I want to uh, hear more about the details myself. But Sharnay, first of all, tell our listeners, because you have an amazing background You've been a recovery agent, both, I think, both fugitive and property recovery. You've done security work. You've, you're a private investigator. You've got your own firm. And also, you're uh, currently in the Air Force, correct? Yes, sir. I'm in the Air National Guard for the great state of Arizona. Uh, I'm a police officer in that capacity. Um, like you said, I've done fugitive recovery. I've done something that's called electronic correction. Basically, it's a big thing that's going to be happening now with COVID-19 going on, trying to get um, the inmates released because of the, the virus. So basically, it's just a GPS tracking ankle monitor to keep people on house arrest to keep, to keep the bad guys still on the hold, but they have to be nonviolent offenders. Understood. So first of all, uh, thank you for your service. We appreciate that, uh, Air National Guard. Uh, police officer at what what base is that out of? It's Goldwater Base here in Arizona, uh, formerly known the first the 161st Air National Guard base. Excellent, excellent. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Now, that is interesting to me what you mentioned about currently during this pandemic, a lot of inmates are being released. Uh, they're trying to keep down the spread of the virus within the population, so they're releasing some nonviolent offenders. And so they're looking to companies like yours to actually outfit them with the equipment or just do the monitoring or go find them when they go off the, the monitoring grid <laughs> or so all they, of that. They're actually <laughs> looking for companies to do all of that. You have to uh, get the actual monitors and set up a 24-hour monitoring station. So the other side of our office over here, we've been like getting all the, everything prepared to, to get the 24-hour the monitoring station. And we're actually attempting to do that here in Arizona and in Texas. Outstanding. Do they come to you and actually get the device put on or do you go they to do. them? They can come to us or we go to them depending on the type, the the type of crime they've committed. We sometimes have to go into the jails to actually do it as well too. Interesting. Interesting. Excellent. Well, we appreciate that uh, service you're providing for, for the states of Arizona and Texas. That's, that's something that, a lot of the, the general public doesn't think about, they don't recognize that that uh, monitoring and that service is being provided by a private company and it's not the state or the county or the federal government, you know, monitoring these people and, and chasing them around and, and reporting on them and whatnot. So that's interesting. Thank you. Thank you so much for that insight. Um, now, how long have you been uh, a private investigator? I've been a private investigator for five years. For five years, and you've got your own agency right now out of Arizona. Is that correct? Yes, sir. This is our headquarters of long-term goal is for it to be in every state. Fantastic. And and listen, before we before we get into the story that I, I want to have you tell to our listeners, I, tell me a little bit because I want you to know that you're our first female guest on private eyes are watching you. And in my opinion, in my almost 20 years as a private investigator, I've always felt and I've always wanted within my, my management group or now my own agency and my staff, female investigators, because the undercover work that you all do 
surpasses what we do by light years, in my opinion. Y'all can get some information that sometimes may seem coming from a, a, a male investigator a little intimidating. Like y'all can go knock on some doors and get some pretty good responses. Sometimes we knock on some doors and people don't want to see us. So what has your experience been as a female private investigator? How did you like get into it? And how do you feel females are represented in our industry? Uh, I actually got into it. It was kind of a, a bucket list thing. Actually, when I moved from Arizona, I was moving to open my bail bonding company and they wouldn't allow me. And so it was kind of like, okay, I want this next license. Like, this is something that, you know, in our career field from going from college into deepening dabbling into different things, private investigation is kind of like your retirement thing. But um, I really enjoyed it. And from the story that I'm going to tell, these injuries were really made me want to go into a full throttle. As far as females being able to give more information, I think it's all about interpersonal skills and just a smile. A lot of our clients say that they come to me and they look me up and I just look like I'm very friendly and that people couldn't talk to me. And so I guess it's just the way that I look, my appearance, the way that I carry myself. I mean, I do do this because I care about people and I care to help people. And um, I try my best to get as much information. I also think coming with the training that I received from the Air Force, you have to wear a lot of different hats. So of course, when we go with the COVID here, you have to wear a lot of different hats. So, I mean, I guess it's just the experience as a whole. I'm so glad you brought that up because you're right about the, most people get into private investigations because you really want to help. There's things going on and generally we're working on things that either Law enforcement may not have the resources and capacity to, to investigate or, you know, the, the client is more comfortable with the private sector approach than going to law enforcement. So it's so important to have that uh, personality and that mentality as a private investigator that, hey, we're here to help. And as you know, a lot of times our clients or even our prospective clients tell us things they haven't told anybody else, even close family and friends. So you kind of become part-time therapist, part-time investigator, part, you know, counselor, advisor, and you try to avoid some of these roles and really focus your, your, your uh, message to your customer that we are here to help. We are here to get the information that's going to help you make whatever decision you want to make about whatever it is you're having us investigate. So that's, that's so important. And, and I'm so glad you brought that up because we, we hear that all the time. And it's an aspect of our job as investigators that a lot of people don't think about, um, you know, case in point, you know, a lot of the, the general public, you know, you jump in an Uber or you're sitting at a, a restaurant you tell somebody you're a private investigator and right away they have all these preconceived ideas of what we do. Um, you know, of course, mine was growing up watching Magnum PI, and I thought I was going to drive around in a red Ferrari with women in bikinis and enjoying the Hawaiian Islands. And, you know, it's just not that way. And, but, you know, when uh, I've told some people in the past, their first response is, man, isn't that really dangerous? Don't you worry about going out in the field? And for the most part, no. We're doing things in a way that no one should know we're investigating them. No one should know we are out there. But sometimes, as we're about to hear, 
things do get a little bit uncomfortable and even downright dangerous. <laughs> so, so I want you to tell, tell our listeners this story by first letting us know without giving away any details that would compromise the investigation or the, or the customer. How did this case first come about? Uh, this was actually in my early years. I think I was into year two then. So um, I had just um, taken on something through a company, you know, in the state of Arizona, you have to like be back for a company for three years before you can go out on your own. So basically, you know, I was the grunt worker. So they pass on the assignment and say, hey, here. So a company, a Fortune 500, a Fortune 500 company hired the agency to get someone in to revamp their security measures and to stop organized crime internally and externally. And on this particular day, I was just going in to write some reports. And uh, I saw this guy that I had been watching for about two months. And um, I approached him and I told him, hey, you know, at this point I had to take off the undercover hat and just tell him who I was. And I right, told right. him who I was. So, let's, so I'm going to back you up one minute here. So. This is, a, a, this is another area that is fascinating to our listeners and viewers. The, the company you were working for and you were hired as a private investigator by a Fortune 500 company, okay? That is such a departure from what a lot of people think. You know, um, my agency right now, we're, we're highly company focused. We have a lot of Fortune 500 clients that come to us for all various types of fraud. And a lot of times when I mention that those are the clients we work for, people are shocked. They're like, wow, a, a public company, a Fortune 500, a company that's traded on the stock market, a company you hear about every day in the news, they actually hire investigators and they do so for so many different reasons. Yeah. And, and it's one of the many areas that the public doesn't think about when they think about private investigators. So I wanted to, to, to commend you on having those type of clients and those type of assignments and also making sure that people understand, you know, that there's more to it than you see on then TV they, and the just movies. Sitting in the car, just holding the camera. And <laughs> right. It, it's so, crazy because I open my company, like, I, I rarely do video. Yep. Yeah, you're right. And, and there's, there's so many niches out there and there's so many lines of service within investigation. So this company was hiring you as an investigator to come in and take a look at their security. Did, did they have product loss in there? Did they have workplace violence? Did they have a, a combination of things going on? What, what was they had, going they had on in there that product, you were talking they had, a, they had a lot of product loss and monetary values loss. So they really didn't have like really any type of security measures. Like when I walked through, just glancing and looking around, like anybody could come in and take something and they wouldn't know. And this, wow. this is a huge, huge, huge upscale place. And is this a retail establishment or retail. was it a distribution warehouse, a retail? Retail. Retail space. It's, it's also interesting because, you know, oftentimes these companies will hire us as investigators to, to, pose as employees or actually get on their payroll to see what's going on in the store with the other employees, how it's yep. run, managed, et cetera. But in this case, they were bringing you in. Were, were they bringing you in that capacity where you were going to pretend you were just a regular employee? Yeah. Were you brought, that's okay. Yep, I pretended I was a regular employee. Okay. So interesting. The so only did the, I was did, there was like the, the general manager. 
the general manager. So did you have to go through the process of like HR in an interview? Like did those people know or those people didn't even know? Um, the regional, the regional person did, he was a Marine. And so he, he found me. I don't, I don't even remember how he found me, but he found the company and he wanted me. So I guess that they, they, the company that I was working for discussed my experience with being a veteran and, you know, being in the Air Force and all of that. So just right away, we just sat down and like kind of had a conversation and he started sending me these links. So he was the only person that I really talked to and had a relationship with, with besides the general manager. So nobody else knew what I was doing there. Yeah. And that, that's what's amazing is, you know, we, we do these cases for our clients and they say, look, we need to put an investigator in there as an employee but no one else is going to know sometimes even in that facility. And you have to go through the normal interview process to get hired. And, you know, like a regional manager, like you said, a general manager kind of has to push the hiring manager to put your application through and be like, yeah, we definitely want to hire that person. So that can be one hurdle to get over before you even get to the first day on the job. That's, that's awesome. So you mentioned that, pretty much the first day you got there, you realized that nobody's keeping an eye on, on things. Like yeah, the first day, the first day I kind of like did a walkthrough. I think they were like introducing me to the place. So they were just walking me through like the different departments within the store. And, you know, at that time I'm there for the, the reason. So I'm, you know, looking and peeping out everything. And I'm like, okay, this needs to be changed. This needs to be, you know, and I would ask questions, but not to give myself away. And, you know, the manager, right. like, you know, after the incident happened, she knew what she she ended up knowing. You know what? I, while I was there, or whatever, and so she she really liked me. She liked me a lot, but they needed a lot of help. They needed a whole lot of help. I don't know what happened after, but it's like I, I was just blown away that this this establishment, like this huge this huge company, didn't have these these different types of measures and the loss the the loss that they that they were taking was just amazing right yeah and i i think you're right you're right on point there because i think most people believe that these big companies these big corporations these big manufacturers they have everything locked down they they know from the time a part is manufactured to distributed to shipped to put on the shelf to sold to the customer that there's this you know 100 percent uh, reliable way to to know where everything is at any given time and it's, it's just not that way. It's, it's just not that way. There's too much. There's, there's too many moving parts and too many things going on and too many, you know, third parties involved that, um, you know, that's just impossible to maintain. So you get, you get a, a kind of walk through of the place. You get to, you're already starting to notice some things. How often were they asking you to report what you were seeing? I reported weekly. Weekly? Yeah. And were they um, were they looking for real documented things in a report? Did they want you to take photographs around the place? Did they want you to take video, or were you kind yeah, of they, just they, like calling wanted, in and? They wanted photographs. They wanted videos. They wanted real time reports. They wanted all of that. So that's what I got. That's what I gave. So yeah, they they wanted it all. Excellent. Were you wearing um, body cameras, or were you just taking like discrete photos when you could? discreet with my phone, no body cams. They would you know, kind of gag you. <laughs> you know, I, ha I have that little pin, the one that has a little light on there, but I think that's right. kind of like outdated now. You know, with the I phone, know. I'm so used to seeing the screen, you want to 
look down at the pen and see if the light is blinking just right so you don't miss anything so you know i just pull my phone out and i pretend like i was taking a break and like you know pick something up and say that I, I like this or you know just take some photos of different things and say you know i need to jog my memory or whatever like that so right excellent excellent so you mentioned that when you when you were there there was there was an individual that you had noticed from a prior investigation or someone that you noted you started to notice that things were going missing and you and you knew what was happening so tell us like the first time you realized like okay i i know things aren't right here but now i'm actually i i'm witnessing it like i i know things are going missing okay so about two weeks maybe like three weeks before i saw him i saw him already but i was there like working the night shift and mm -hmm. the, these females came and then i noticed the way that they the way that they looked they carried themselves that they didn't belong there and so they were actually in there taking things they when once i approached them and i talked to them about it and you know wrote some reports and called the cops and got them arrested they mentioned the guy so when i was there to finish the reports I saw him a few times and like a few times he, he looked like he belonged but this last time like he, he just didn't look like he belonged like in that establishment and I know how you know we're not supposed to profile people but you know sometimes it's your good intuition it's the, it's the name of the game for the places that you're in the environments that you're in like you just don't belong you know so Right. Coupled with body language and all those other things you're, you're taught and trained on. So this was a true organized retail theft group. And this person was the quote unquote, probably leader. And he's sending girls in there or sending other people in there, kind of teaching them the, the trade, mm -hmm. what to do. And, and that alone is such a shocking, you know, thing for for most people when you talk about this organized retail theft this is a billion dollar industry in which entire criminal organizations are funded simply based on sophisticated methods of training people to go in and steal profitable items mm -hmm. and it, it goes on every single day it goes on in every single industry the bigger the uh, retail chains that the more uh, susceptible they are and so th this is not uncommon and it is a constant thing that uh, companies have to investigate and, and factor in and um, address as far as loss prevention. So, uh, so this is real. This is this is a real situation. You've got a, a leader of an organized um, criminal gang sending people in. Certainly not happy that a couple of them got caught and were arrested. And so I'll let you take it from there. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> You know, so he came in and, you know, I watched, I watched him for a little bit. And, you know, at this point, I started thinking that, like, one of the employees were involved, too, because the two different girls, she went to, they went to, like, the same exact person to, like, you know, ring out. So when I saw him, like, approaching, he went to the same person and he approached, you know, and I just watched him a little bit. And then he started grabbing stuff. He walked out. What, uh, what type of things was, was he grabbing? Would it give it away or can you give it generic? Was it apparel? Was it jewelry? Was bags. It, what was it? Bags, female bags. Bags. Okay. Okay. High margin stuff, high dollar stuff. Okay. 
Now he just goes for he just goes for the the snatch and grab technique. Yep, yep, snatch and grab. And so I just you know followed him and I, I approached him and I was like, hey, this is who I am. I know you're affiliated with such and such because these were the two females that had already like gave it away. And he just started like attacking me. Like we got into a, a big fight, like fist fight, and um. Are we, are we good? Hello? Hello? Wait, yep, you froze on me. That was, okay, Charnay, I think you did that on purpose for suspense because you, 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 you went, he just started attacking me and then you froze up. I was like, oh, right. Hey, that's great suspense. Okay, you're going to keep my viewers on the edge of their seat. That is that is amazing. So um, you only froze for a few seconds, no problem. So you, you, he grabs some bags. He's he's out of the store already or, or approaching the exit. He's at he's the threshold. The, he's, he's like in the threshold between the, the automatic doors and like just stepping across and I, I look, just approach him then. And right. so he, he turns around, you know, and he, he's like, get off me, bro. You know, and I was like, I'm not a bro. And then he just starts attacking me. So we get into the, like this fist fight. And, um, oh my gosh. So he drops everything. Yeah. And he, he just, just lunges. Yeah. He just lunges in and start punching, you know, at this point, oh, I can't get my distance, but I'm a female. He's a male. So we end up on the ground. And then when we, we end up off the ground, we get up, we, you know, we kind of stop. And then I look up and he's like running. So he got out of the he got out of the threshold area. Yeah, because at first you're in that enclosed area, and you got to be thinking, "Oh man, like it's gonna be hard to retreat if I need to, or just get some distance." I mean, to be honest, to be honest, I wasn't even thinking about any of that. I think you know it was the fight or flight. That's just where I went, just straight to fight or flight. It was this fight, and so once once I realized that he got up and he took out running. I like picked up, um, I think I had like some keys or something. I picked up the keys and I like went back in. And at this point, you know, I'm completely given away by everybody that's at the establishment. And so the assistant manager runs over to me and she's like, what just happened? You know, why, why, did, why did you do that? And at that point I had to go ahead and let her know like the reason of me being there. Right, and so, right. Like I went, she took me to her office and like, I'm like, this excuse me but I'm like this. like <laughs> my arm hurts a little bit you know and I'm thinking that I like like sprung my arm so I'm like I call my spouse and I'm like meet me in a mighty emergency like I just sprang my arm I don't know what's going on and I started like trying to pick stuff up with my arm well I couldn't pick up anything so the assistant manager at that point was like I'm calling the cops I don't know what just happened. And so when the police came, you know, I explained to them what I was doing. Of course, I had to like pull out my 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 license and my bag, mm-hmm. you know, and show them to them. And so they, you know, they were real acceptable, me being there. And they ended up calling the ambulance. So they like, you know, observed my arm. And, you know, at that point, I still didn't know that my arm was broken. And they shot me up with morphine and they put me in the back of the ambulance. So I get to the hospital and, um, you know, they start observing and telling me like they want to set it or whatever and they get the x-rays done. And once they come back with the x-rays, like my bone is broken completely in half. Oh my gosh. So what, what part? Like right in... Oh. The radius bone. So inside of your arm, there's two bones. 
when you rotate your arm, they overlap. So it was right. broken in half, so they tried to set it, and once they tried to set it, they said it, it wouldn't work. So I ended up having to spend three days there and go to emergency surgery, and I ended up with a metal plate and six screws. Oh my goodness. And like limited mobility. So I am now like classified as a handicapped person. <laughs> well, I, I can see you moving your arm and your hand. And so I, I think it's, uh, you, you, I, I'm happy to, to see that you got some mobility there and it looks yeah. like, you know, you're able to, to function. So when you thought back on it, did you, did you remember like, as y'all were going down, you put your arm down maybe, and that's what had happened, or you just, you I just don't, don't know, to be honest. You, I don't know. Like, you're just I in had, that adrenaline mode. Yeah, it was just pure and, adrenaline. Yeah. I, I don't know, like I had to like fill out reports with the Air Force and do all this different stuff that we had to up channel there. And like, I, I just don't know, you know, I think I just blacked out to be honest. I don't know, I just knew this is a guy, he's on me. <laughs> so I have to defend myself. Right, and how how big was this dude? Like, what what was what was he like? He was probably about six feet, maybe. He was a skinny guy. He wasn't too heavy, so maybe like six feet, maybe one seventy, one seventy five. He wasn't a heavy guy, but I'm not that big either. Right. So he, <laughs> it sounds like his goal was just get you away from him and then get the heck out of there. Yeah. So did, did he end up grabbing anything or he just, everything was just left and he everything ran off? Was left, everything was left. Um, there was a big investigation done. Um, I can say this for people that knows about Arizona. This was in Scottsdale, Arizona. So this is like the rich, rich part of town. And okay. there was an investigation done. Then uh, it came back that he was an illegal immigrant. So uh, he was never recovered. Oh, so they, they, did they know that he was working with those other girls that were arrested previously? They did. They, but they weren't able to identify him or they? Nope. We had video footage, still photos of him, everything. There was nothing. Couldn't, couldn't ID him. And then, uh, so was that your last day at that store? Yeah, that was the last day. <laughs> the part with the hiring part. Um, they actually pay for all of my, my doctor visits and all of this stuff, but there is no record of me like being an employee there. Ah, ah, so they, they, well, <laughs> and then did you, did you ever talk to those, uh, that, that client again, those individuals? I mean, they, they, you know, this is a ongoing type of situation that these stores have to deal with because of course they want to have a welcoming environment. So they don't want to have like, too crazy of security measures mm -hmm. but at the same time that opens them up for this type of organized retail theft um ever have any interactions with with those general managers that hired you to do that job i, I did um once my arm was okay it actually took me about 10 months to get my arm back to the way that wow it, because yeah. it was it was stuck like this and uh, so once I was able to like get off the medication and like maneuver my arm a little bit more, I went back, you know, cause it was, it was cool. You know, there was, there was like my second year to private investigation and I went from like being a camera holder and just right. basically with my experience from the air force, being able to like really just investigate a fortune 500 company. Like who would have knew? Like I didn't think that that would happen like my second year to become yeah. a private. So I did go back and, you know, they thank me for everything and 
they they took some notes and you know i was able to give them some notes for i guess the next person that they chose or whatever they were going to do mm-hmm. and then it, i kind of kind of got frustrated once i found out that there was no record of me like being an employee there so after that it was like no, I'm not going to go back there again. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, that it's interesting you mentioned that because with a lot of these Fortune 500 companies, you know, they, they are public companies. They have shareholders. They have stockholders that they have to answer to. And so we've even had situations where their managers or their attorneys have asked us, don't, don't send a report. Only provide verbal updates because they don't want a record of it because they don't want to have to explain why they didn't know something was going on or why somebody who has been at the company for so long was stealing X millions of dollars from them or whatever it might be, or why their internal processes are so bad. <laughs> and so we've had those times where there is no record of what we did. And well, if they pay their invoice, I guess it's okay. It's yeah. Their business, but <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, the invoice is it. So, I mean, but I was, I was thankful and grateful that they did pay all of my doctor's bills though. So I was, I was good for that. So. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, Oh, that's, so you had to go through therapy and everything. Get it your was. arm working again. And, and now you don't have to answer this, but is that, are those screws and plates permanent? Yeah, uh, I uh, developed something called RHD. So it's a pain syndrome. So when I told you I went for like the fight and flight, the fight is always going now. There's no right. flight inside of my body. So it messed with the nerves. So yeah, they can't take them out. If the, even if it bothers me, there would be a, a process that my arm may go back to just like this again. So wow. still into today, this is with three years later, I have to get injections in my neck like every six months. function well i commend you for sticking with (laughs) the things you do right now including you know being a military police officer for the air national guard and doing the investigations i'm sure you've been in some other kind of sticky undercover situations and that experience can turn a lot of people or, or put them off of this type of career yeah, that's true. It, it just now it, I won't take certain things. Like if another Fortune 500 company approached me, I would, it would be more of a team. Like that company that put me out there, it was just me, just me only, you know. And there was something that my leadership in the Air Force was kind of upset about. They was like, why were you alone? You know, why did they do that? Why did they put you there alone? And I was like, I don't know. And they thought I could do the job. And I mean, that's what we're here for, to do the job. I mean, they instill in us, and I know you know from your background in the military, like, you're not going to say no. <laughs> you're going to yeah, say Yeah, you know? and that's, that's, a, that's a good lesson, too, because a lot of private investigators who might come from a, a sworn law enforcement, you know, and they retire and they get into private investigations, and oftentimes they're, they're just stunned by how often people ask us to go out in the field and do things alone with no backup, no partner, nobody, yeah. you know, there at, they're shocked that we do surveillance so often with just one man and one car or one investigator and one vehicle. It's, it's not a team of investigators with all of this support and everything else. And, you know, private investigations is, is a business and it, it's a private business and our investigations pretty much go as far as the budget will go. Yeah. You know, we're oftentimes, you know, it's, it, it can be frustrating for new private investigators to realize that oftentimes we're not hired to solve anything. We're hired to get a piece of information that's going to help somebody, you know, make a decision. But 
that's as far as we can take it once the budget runs out or, or whatever that initial assignment is. Yeah, that right there, that's, that's the portion of it that I don't like. <laughs> because once the budget runs out, it's like, okay, I think we should extend this further. But if they don't have it in their budget, then it's like closed door. And they just take just that, that small little piece. Right. And there's so many times I'm sure you've experienced where, you know, you've, you've kind of busted open this whole floodgate of information and there's so many things you could follow up on and the client's just like, nope, that's all we needed. Thanks. Yep. And that's, that's just part of being a private investigator that we got to, <laughs> you know, recognize and, and understand. So, oh my goodness. So how has that um, injury or just that incident in general, you know, it sounds like you have some employees or contractors and other people you utilize for jobs. How, how has that affected how you train them or how you've, um, you know, created your business around some of these incidents that, that you've had? Um, I won't put them alone. The company that I was working for, they was an insurance to carry. So everybody, I had I'm insurance to carry. So uh, all of my investigators are packing that heat, <laughs> <laughs> you know. So that 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 right there really was a big thing for me. Like you know, when I got I signed on, I had to sign the contract back in soon that I won't you know carry any weapons and all this stuff. So that was a big thing when I decided to take on mine that we are going to carry weapons, you know. And most of the the contractors and the different investigators that I hire are veterans. That's my kind of my. Um, my business model, I want to employ all veterans. And, mm -hmm. people, you know, you said that I'm the first female to do this and the, the, the outlook on it. So I, I try to scout different females, even though there's not a lot that, that does this, but mostly veterans because most veterans are trying on, you know, how to use the weapons and when to use the weapons. And I don't, I don't feel that there will be an incident where we have to explain that there's somebody that's not trying fully on, on the weapons and the protocol with weapons. And if we just do it, there'll always be a team. I'll never put anybody out there alone for that big of a deal when it comes down to a Fortune 500 company or a small company that needs us to come in to revamp their security measures if they think that there's organized crime or fraud or theft of any type of measure. Because when you're going to that type of extent and somebody could possibly go to jail, you don't know how they're going to react. You just don't. Yep. So, so smart to set up your business that way and make sure that you hold yourself and your employees, but also your clients to that standard of recognizing like, you know, I'm not going to put my people in harm's way. We're going to stay safe. We're going to stay legal. We're going to stay ethical. We're going to do all these things. And, and, and I want to mention something you, you touched on that uh, reminds me of how Private investigations require such a diversity of, of personnel to get the information you need. You know, we, we, over the years, I've been so blessed to meet so many great investigators of every color, race, background, language, you know, in just the just bringing these people together when you need someone who speaks Spanish or you need a female to fit in over here, or you need, um, you know, whatever it is, uh, whatever type of person to investigate that'll fit in. Talk to me a little bit about your experience with working with other PIs, whether they be locally, 
around the country. You mentioned you have people in Texas or in, you know, how our kind of very small PI community functions within this industry and, and works together. What has your experience been? Uh, it's been a big open door. I'm a part of the uh, the Association for Private Investigation Investigators in the United States, and like any time that we have a different case that goes somewhere where we don't have a, a footstep in, I mean, everybody's always open and available. Uh, they even try to, you know, give you a little discount if you're a part of the, these different types of associations. Uh, I actually did some work for someone out in California. He called, we got on the job, and I think there's going to be a great working relationship. I just feel like just as long as you have that open communication and you can understand, you know, the variations of this business and what you said, the budgeting and all that stuff, I think just it is going to stay open and people are going to work with each other depending on the case and the budget. So just like you, you, you emailed me and I said, hey, I want to do it. So here we are today. So, I mean, I, I think because we are a very small footprint of an industry, when you actually do meet someone else that's doing it, you kind of want to get that connection and want to pick a brains. Like I have this one guy, I've never really met him in person, but we met on LinkedIn and we kind of go back and forth with different ideas when we have, you know, a complicated case that one of the other hasn't seen or we need help with. But He's very open and welcoming and, I, and he answers my questions and I do the same for him and we've never met in person. Absolutely, you're, you're spot on there, you're right on because this industry is pretty small, you know, depending on the, the labor statistics and the numbers you look at, there's about 60,000 licensed investigators in the US, but we all know like a lot of those people have their license but they're not practicing full time or they're semi-retired or they've kind of aged out but they still just maintain their license. And so when you think about like working full-time PIs, it's really closer to like 30,000, which is tiny compared to real estate agents or dentists or some other field. And so building this community is what it's all about and really being able to find the people you, you know, like, and trust that you can bring into your organization when you need to answer those questions or something you haven't seen before, or you need help in another part of the, the country or another part of the world for that matter. But Charnay, I really appreciate you being on today. I, I, I'm, I'm sorry to hear about that story that you went through in that incident, but I think it made you stronger. And I also believe that your resiliency is what's made you successful and, and to carry on the way you have in, in all of these great areas that you're operating. Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity. Absolutely. So all my listeners out there, all my viewers, if you need something in Arizona, Charnay, tell them how to find you, website, phone, everything. Give, give them the pitch. How can they find you out there? The name of my agency is Fish Eye Investigations Group. We're actually in Arizona and Texas. We're working on California right now. Um, you can find us on Google, fisheyeinvestigationsgroup.com. We're on Instagram, fisheyeinvestigationsgroup.com, Facebook. And the headquarters telephone number is 602-477-9572. Excellent, excellent. So anybody who needs anything out in Arizona or Texas, get a hold of Charnay. She'll take care of you. And to all my listeners out there, catch us on next episode because you never know when private eyes are watching you. Thanks again, Charnay. Thank you.